0: Chapter 5 of Born to Serve. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cloud Dancer. Born to Serve by Charles Monroe Sheldon. Chapter 5 A True Servant is a Lord. The test that Barbara had proposed to Mrs. Vane was not anything very remarkable, either as a test or as an experiment. Mrs. Vane was to invite several people to her house some evening and invite Barbara with the rest, presenting her to her guests and treating her in every way like all the others. The curiosity that Barbara felt was in reality something in the nature of protest against a remark made by her mother, that society would not accept, under any conditions, a servant into its circle, and that not even Mrs. Vane, with all her wealth and eccentricity and social standing, could really do anything to remove the barrier that other people would at once throw up against her no sooner had barbara perceived that mrs vane was perfectly willing to do what she asked and indeed looked forward to it with a kind of peculiar zest than she began to regret having asked her nothing would be gained by it one way or the other she said to herself hesitatingly as she pondered over it what if she should be welcomed for herself that would change nothing and help nothing she would go to mrs vane next day and ask her to forgive a foolish impulse that had no good reason for existing and that would be the end of it but before she had found an afternoon to go and see mrs vane that energetic lady had invited her company and it was too late barbara said to herself that she could refuse her own invitation and not go but mrs vane next day wrote a characteristic note urging barbara not to disappoint her you must not hesitate to come for fear of putting me in any awkward position my dear i am independent of any verdict of selfish society and the few friends who do know and love me will treat you as if you were a member of my own family and you may be surprised at some things yourself for i have found after a much longer life than yours that there is still a good deal of human kindness yet even among people of wealth and so-called fashion On the whole, however, you will be doomed to meet with what you undoubtedly expect. Wealth and family connection and, above all, position are counted greatest in the kingdom of men. The time will come when the first shall be the last and the last the first, and when that time comes, servant girls will be as good as Duke's daughters and eat at the same banquets. You are not willing to wait until then, so come to my feast and prepare to be overlooked but don't stay away for fear of hurting me the only way you can hurt me is to misunderstand me i don't mind that from my enemies they don't know any better but my friends ought to your friend mrs vane this letter put barbara more or less at her ease and when the night of the gathering came she went to it quite self-possessed and prepared for anything the reality of which she was not prepared for in the least, and among all her experiences she counted this the most remarkable. It was to be rather a large gathering, and when Barbara arrived, the front rooms were quite well filled. Mrs Vane introduced her to three or four ladies standing in the front hall. One of them was a young woman about Barbara's age, elegantly dressed and very distinguished looking, even to Barbara. Her name was Miss Dillingham. "'My mother was a Dillingham,' said Barbara, simply, as an opening remark for conversation. "'Indeed. Your name is—' "'Miss Clark,' said Barbara. "'Oh, yes, Miss Clark. What branch of the Dillinghams, may I ask? The Vermin Dillinghams?' "'Yes. Mother's father was from Washington County. How interesting!' The young woman smiled in a very interesting manner at Barbara. "'Then we must be related somewhere. "'Our family is from the same county. "'Is your father living here in Crawford?' "'Father died last year,' said Barbara, "'returning the young woman's look of interest. "'It's a little strange I have not met you before,' said Miss Dillingham. "'You have been shut in on account of your father's death.' She looked at Barbara's simple black silk dress, which was Barbara's one party dress, very plain, but in perfect taste in every way but i thought i knew all the dillinghams of the vermin branch mother will want to meet you is she here to-night asked barbara yes she's in the other room somewhere ah there is the new minister of marble square church mr morton miss dillingham exclaimed i didn't know that he had come yet i think he is perfectly splendid have you ever heard him preach yes i heard him once replied barbara and the next moment mr morton had caught sight of them and came out into the hall and greeted them good evening miss clark i am very glad to meet you again and you miss dillingham he said in his simple but hearty manner you are good at remembering names said barbara because she could not think of anything brilliant to say i've understood that one of the difficulties for ministers is the task of remembering so many people ''Yes, I've heard Uncle James say,'' spoke up Miss Dillingham brightly, ''Uncle James is Rector of St. Mark's in Crawford,'' she nodded by way of explanation to Barbara, ''I've heard him say that he could remember names that began with certain letters, but that he was completely forgetful of others. It must be very nice to have a distinguished memory for people's names. It is such a pleasing flattery to the people who are addressed. Everyone likes to be remembered. He takes it as a special compliment.'' "'I don't know that I can claim any special faculty in that direction,' the young minister replied, smiling. "'Your names come near the beginning of the alphabet, C and D. Perhaps that helps me. The farther one gets into the alphabet, the more intricate and difficult the matter becomes.' "'It's a very disappointing explanation, Mr. Morton,' said Miss Dillingham, laughing. "'We hoped—at least I did—that it was something personal about ourselves that made you remember us.' "'What, for example?' said Morton gravely. "'For example, our—our looks, or—' Miss Dillingham turned to Barbara. "'What should you say, Miss Clark?' "'Or our occupations,' suggested Barbara, colouring a little. "'But we've no occupations,' said Miss Dillingham carelessly. "'At least I haven't any since finishing at Vassar. Mother wants me to study photography. "'What would you say, Mr. Morton?' "'I—' the young man seemed unprepared for an answer.' oh i should say you would take a very good picture now that's certainly a compliment isn't it miss clark she exclaimed laughing again and yet they told me you couldn't talk small talk mr morton i was trying to retrieve my blunder about the memory of the names said mr morton laughing with them but if you really want my opinion about the photography i think it would be a good thing for you to learn it i believe every one ought to have an occupation of some kind "'Even society young women?' "'Yes, even they,' Morton answered with his characteristic gravity, which, however, was not at all gloomy or morose. Young women like Miss Dillingham liked it, and spoke of it as fascinating. The reason it was fascinating was that it revealed a genuine seriousness in life. Not morbid, but interesting. "'What would you have us do, then? What can society girls like Miss Clark and myself do?' Miss Dillingham asked the question seriously, or thought she did. "'Really, I am not competent to determine your duty in the matter,' the young man answered, looking earnestly at Barbara, although Miss Dillingham had asked the question. "'Perhaps Miss Clark can answer better than I can.' "'I don't call myself a society girl at all,' said Barbara, looking straight into Miss Dillingham's face. "'I have to work for my living.' "'No, do you?' the young woman asked eagerly. It must be very interesting. Tell me what you do. There was not a particle of vulgar curiosity in the tone or manner of the speaker, and Barbara did not feel at all embarrassed as she answered quietly, I am a servant in Mrs. Ward's house, the hired girl, some people call me. Miss Dillingham had leaned eagerly toward Barbara in anticipation of her reply. When it came, she evidently did not quite understand it. The the hired girl? Yes, I do the housework there. Everything from the marketing to the dishwashing. I assure you, I have an occupation all day long. Miss Clark is a good cook. Mr. Morton spoke up as Miss Dillingham stared at Barbara. I can speak from experience, for I have dined at the wards. He smiled frankly and in perfect ease at Barbara, and she was grateful to him. It must be very, very hard and disagreeable work miss dillingham stammered still looking hard at barbara some of it is replied barbara but some parts of housework are really interesting it's not all drudgery she added looking bravely at mr morton although she was talking to miss dillingham just then some new guests came downstairs and the three were pushed into the sitting-room miss dillingham took advantage of the movement to excuse herself and left barbara and mr morton together for a few moments Do you think Miss Dillingham was a little surprised at your occupation, Miss Clark? Mr. Morton asked, looking at Barbara intently. I think so. Nearly everyone is. Aren't you? Barbara had not meant to be so blunt. The question was uttered before she was aware, and then she stood more confused than at any time during the evening. Yes, I am, he answered frankly. Of course, you're educated and refined and could be a schoolteacher or or a photographer he added with a smile that somehow relieved both of them instead of that you chose to be a house servant i have often wondered why barbara collared how often had he wondered but she looked up at him and looked down again his eyes were very large brown eyes full of thought and barbara was a little afraid of them i had to do something There was no school for me, and the stores did not offer any opportunity for a living. I chose the work of a servant, because it seemed to me I could at the same time make a living and do something for the girls who work out, because I was one of them. "'And can you, do you think?' he asked with great interest. But just then, to his evident annoyance, one of those persons who believe in keeping people moving on such occasions broke in with, "'Ah, Morton, so delighted to see you!' a dozen people right here want to meet you mrs jones mrs wainwright miss wallace mr morton mr morton turned from barbara with a parting look and smile that she thought she had a right to remember all the evening and met with the persons his friend had mentioned permit me to introduce miss clark he presented barbara to the company and she said a few words in reply to a word above the evening or the weather volunteered by one of the ladies then they directed all their remarks to mr morton and there being no men in the little group gradually she found herself outside the talk and as the company crowded together more in the room she was separated from the rest and found herself alone with no one to talk to Mrs. Vane was in the parlour, and Barbara awkwardly stood by herself until the pushing of people gradually moved her up to a table where she was glad to find some views to look at. She was turning them over and thinking of what Mr. Morton had said, when Miss Dillingham came up again with an elderly lady dressed in great elegance like the younger woman. "'Mother wants to meet you, Miss Clark. She wants to talk over the Dillinghams.' Miss Dillingham introduced her mother, stood listening a few moments, and then went away. When Barbara saw her again, she was again talking animatedly with Mr. Morton. Once they looked over toward her, and Barbara was certain she was the subject of their talk. Evidently, Miss Dillingham was making inquiries about her. "'My daughter has been telling me that your mother was a Dillingham,' Barbara nodded. "'We feel proud of the Dillinghams,' the old lady said emphatically. "'It's an old family with a record.' your mother was related to the washington county branch barbara told her adding a little proudly mother is first cousin to the ratcliffes the minute she said it she wished she hadn't it looked like an obvious attempt to gain a point socially mrs dillingham regarded barbara with added respect the howard Ratcliffs, yes the governor is mother's nephew governor ratcliff yes barbara answered She was vexed with herself now for mentioning the fact, and her vexation was increased by remembering another fact, that during all her father's financial reverses the Radcliffes had coldly refused to help, and had been to some extent responsible for her father's final losses. She could have bitten her tongue at the thought of her silly eagerness to let this old lady know that she was somebody. Mrs. Dillingham was looking at her with the greatest possible respect. "'Evidently the first cousinship and the Howard-Radcliffe connection were connections of the highest importance. "'Your father is dead,' Alice tells me. "'Then you are living with your mother?' "'She did not wait to give Barbara time to answer, but say, "'You must come and see us. "'I shall be glad to call on your mother if you will give me the address.' Barbara gave her the street and number, and then, looking straight into her face, said, "'Did Miss Dillingham tell you anything else about me?' it had begun to dawn on barbara that for reasons not quite clear the daughter had not told the mother that barbara was a house-servant why no is there anything more mrs dillingham asked in a tone she never used except to persons who were her social equals are you related to royalty yes i don't know what i am replied barbara flushing proudly a sense of divinity of service almost overwhelming her before that gorgeous figure standing so distinctly for the world's fashion and wealth i am a servant how what is that mrs dillingham was puzzled she stared at barbara you asked if i was related to royalty the son of god was a servant i am one of god's children in the faith and I told your daughter that I am obliged to work out for a living. I am in Mrs. Ward's house. Oh! Then Mrs. Dillingham was silent, and there was an embarrassing moment. Well, began the old lady slowly, I don't see that that fact makes you any less a Dillingham or a Radcliffe. She's bravely standing by her Dillinghams, Barbara said to herself, and she began to admire the old lady i suppose not she said aloud but i thought you ought to know and then-then i could call on your mother and not eh the old lady said sharply yes and recall your invitation to me added barbara smiling invitation your invitation to call i shall be glad to see you any time said mrs dillingham gravely. still you would a little rather i wouldn't barbara said quickly the old lady coloured "'Of course the situation is unusual. "'I don't know why you're working out. "'Girls do such queer things nowadays. "'Is it in order to try the real affection of some young man "'and get a husband for your own sake?' "'I never thought of that,' replied Barbara, laughing. "'No,' and she became grave again in a moment. "'I have no great choice in the matter. "'I am working out because no other position offered at the time, "'and we are poor.' I have to do something for a living. If you do get a husband while you are a servant, he will probably be a brave and good man. Now, my girl tells me she is never certain of any suitor, whether it is she or her money that is wanted. The old lady looked wistfully at Barbara and then added, I admire your pluck, my dear. It is a Dillingham trait. Don't forget this. Blood is thicker than water. I believe Alice would do what you are doing if she had to. "'Would she?' Barbara did not say it, but simply thought it, "'wondering as she looked over at the splendidly dressed young woman "'still talking with so much earnestness with Mr. Morton. "'And as she looked she could not help a feeling of jealousy "'at the thought of this proud, handsome girl with a secure social position. "'Mrs. Dillingham was moving away. "'Barbara suddenly reproached herself with a lack of courtesy. "'I want to thank you, Miss Dillingham.' I appreciate your... your treatment of me. You didn't expect it, eh? But Mrs. Vane and I are eccentrics. You won't find any others here. We exhaust the material. There's a good deal of nonsense about money and position. But family, that's another thing. Princes have had to cook. Look at King Alfred. And he made a bad job of it, too. I'm sure you do better than he did. Don't forget you're at Dillingham and she left Barbara alone again. In a few minutes Mrs. Vane found her. "'Are you enjoying it?' she asked. "'Yes, I've had an interesting time so far,' Barbara answered truthfully. "'I just thought Mrs. Dillingham talking to you. What did she say?' Barbara told her briefly. Mm, "'She's of good blood. We don't agree in theology, but I like her for a good sense in other things. But, as she says,' There are not many others like us. Let me introduce Mr. Somers and Mrs. Wilkes and Mrs. Rowland. Excuse me, I must go to Mr. Morton. I can't let Miss Dillingham monopolize him all the evening. The new group to which Barbara had been introduced regarded her variously. Mr. Somers remarked that it was a warm evening. Mrs. Rowland nodded and said nothing, and presently turned to speak to someone else. Miss Wilkes coldly stared at Barbara, and in answer to Barbara's remark about some feature of the gathering she said, yes, and as a young man went by she turned her back directly on Barbara and began chatting volubly to the young man. Barbara remembered at that instant that Miss Wilkes was one of the young women Mrs. Ward had introduced her to the last Sunday morning she was at church. The Wilkes family sat directly in front of the Ward's, There was no one left but Mr. Somers, and he was saying, as Barbara recovered from Miss Wilkes' direct snubbing, "'Have you met that Miss Clark that Mrs. Vane has invited here tonight? They say she's a mighty interesting girl, and she works out too. Some people think Mrs. Vane carries things too far to invite hired girls to her house. That's one of the things that makes it interesting to come here. You never know who's going to be here, like a kind of a grab bag, you know?' "'Don't know whether you're going to grab a bag of peanuts or a blank. "'Lots of blanks in society, don't you think?' "'I don't know. I haven't been out very much,' replied Barbara demurely. She looked at Mr. Somers with interest. "'He was a tall young man in a regulation dress suit, "'and there was a look of good nature about him that Barbara rather liked. "'She's probably more interesting than most of the society girls. "'Do you know her? Do you see her anywhere?' "'I'm Miss Clark,' said Barbara, and at the sudden look of surprise on Mr. Somer's face, she burst out laughing, and he finally joined her feebly. "'The joke is on me, of course. But I never heard your name. Why don't people speak up when they introduce folks on these occasions? It might save trouble occasionally. Do you recollect if I said anything in front of your face that I might have said behind your back?' You said I was an interesting girl, replied Barbara, still laughing at Mr. Somers, who mopped perspiration plentifully. Well, you are, at least so far, said Mr. Somers, looking at Barbara doubtfully. He seemed embarrassed, as if he did not know just what to talk about, and Barbara, who was perfectly self-possessed, helped him out by asking him to tell her who different people were. Mr. Somers, who evidently went out a great deal, eagerly took advantage of the opening to give Barbara several biographical sketches. "'That old lady over there is Mrs. Reed. She's the richest woman in Crawford. That young man leaning on the piano is Judge Wallace's son. He's good-looking and knows it. That little thin lady in the blue dress talking with Mrs. Dillingham is the most interesting person in the house, present company excepted.' Her husband lost every cent she had in the Topaz mines out in Arizona last year and shot himself at the bottom of one of them. That's Morton, the new preacher in Marble Square. They say he can preach people out of the soundest sleep known to the oldest inhabitant in Crawford. He's gifted and not bad-looking. We are said to resemble each other. The person right behind you is Miss Cambridge. What were you saying about me, Mr. Somers?' inquired a very plain-looking girl, very nicely dressed, turning suddenly around. Mr. Somers was disconcerned, but only for a moment. "'I was going to say you were the handsomest girl in the house except Miss Dillingham,' said Mr. Somers gravely. "'Let me introduce Miss Clark, Miss Cambridge.' Miss Cambridge shook hands with Barbara and said in a low tone, "'Mrs. Vane has told me about you.' She seemed to want to meet Barbara, and Mr. Somers turned away with a pleasant word of regret at the interruption. But Barbara could not avoid the impression that he was rather relieved than otherwise not to have to take her into refreshments. "'Will you go with me?' Miss Cambridge asked, and Barbara gladly consented. The refreshment room was filled except for two seats. They went over to them, and it was not until they were seated that Barbara saw that Mr. Morton was next to her, with Miss Dillingham beside him. "'You are having a pleasant evening, I hope?' Mr. Morton found time to say, while conversation languished a little. "'Yes,' replied Barbara. "'I hope to know something sometime of the results of your effort to a noble service,' he said with earnestness. Barbara knew the great, kind, brown eyes were looking straight at her. She raised her own and looked into his face. She wondered at her courage as she did so, for it took courage to do it. "'I don't think I shall do anything great,' she said. "'I think you will,' he replied quietly. "'I have great faith in that kind of life.' There was no opportunity for anything more, but Barbara cherished the few words as if they were of the utmost importance." After they came out of the refreshment room, something separated her from Miss Cambridge, who had not proved as much interested as Barbara had imagined she might be, and again she was left to herself. For the first time during the evening she began to notice that she was attracting considerable attention. Standing in the corner by the door of the conservatory, she could not help hearing someone say, "'Mrs. Vane has no right to go such length.' "'It is the last time I accept any of her invitations. "'The idea of inviting hired girls to gathering like this, "'it is simply an insult to all the guests. "'But the girl seems well-behaved enough,' said a male voice. "'Very pretty, too,' said another. "'It may be, but it's no place for her. "'It's an unheard-of thing of Mrs. Vane to do. "'She's done some very queer things, but this is the worst.' i don't know spoke up a voice that barbara recognized as belonging to mr somers a well-behaved hired girl is less objectionable than a drunken count that's what we had at newport last winter at the lyndhursts but then i suppose he knew his place all right barbara found an opening and moved away the rest of the evening she was conscious of being largely let alone there was no coarse or vulgar objection to her But very many of Mrs. Vane's guests showed their feelings in a way, several of them said afterwards, so that Mrs. Vane would know how far she had mistaken her own place in society. As the guests began to leave, Barbara nervously went to Mrs. Vane to say good night, and found Mr. Morton with the Dillinghams just saying farewell at the door. Mr. Morton bowed gravely to Barbara as he said good night to Mrs. Vane and went out, Miss Dillingham taking his arm as they passed down the steps. "'I am going to ride,' Mrs. Dillingham said to Mrs. Vane as she waited in the hall. "'The carriage is just coming around. "'I told the young folks to go on. "'It is a beautiful evening for a walk.' Barbara walked back into the sitting-room and sat down by the table of prints and turned them over silently. When the guests were all gone, Mrs. Vane came in. "'What? you here, Barbara? "'I thought you had gone.' "'No, I wanted to talk with you a little while.' said barbara with an effort why i do believe you are almost crying the old lady exclaimed coming up to her quickly have you had a trying evening tell me about it barbara told her and added something more that made the sharp eyes soften and the abrupt manner change to one of great gentleness don't worry dear it will all come out all right i know just go right on with your work i understand it all perfectly "'I'm old enough to be your grandmother, and I've seen some remarkable things happen. "'The Lord takes care of more things than we give him credit for. "'We must trust him when we are in all sorts of trouble. "'And yours isn't the worst by any means. "'But it's too late for you to go home now. "'I'll send William over to tell Mrs. Ward, if anyone is up there, that you are to stay here tonight.' "'So Barbara remained with the great-hearted old soul that night,' and in the morning she went back to her drudgery sobered by the events of that eventful evening and trembling a little because she had entrusted her secret even to one so old and so loving as mrs vane but on the whole it comforted her under other circumstances she would have told no one but her mother but mrs clark was nervous and irritable she did not understand barbara and lived a daily protest against her choice of life-work To learn now from Barbara that she had come to think a great deal of the brilliant young minister of the great Marble Square Church would have seemed to Mrs. Clark like another madness, and what Barbara needed at this crisis in her life was not reproaches or tears, but encouragement and good-hearted affection. She was a girl who gave her own affection quickly. From the day she met Mrs. Vane she had understood her. It was the same with Mr. Morton. It is a mistake to suppose that the greatest feelings must develop slowly. The feeling that Barbara experienced was not long in point of time, but she herself was the best judge of its strength. It is probable that she was afraid of its development in so comparatively short a time, and one way she took to ascertain the truth was to talk to Mrs. Vane frankly about it some things the old lady gave her that evening out of her own experience reassured her as to her own heart barbara had been afraid that her apparently sudden giving up of her life as it faced this other life was wrong there was a tremor in the thought of unseemly haste unworthy of so sacred an event but as the days went by she found it was not so She did not know all herself, but the experience that had come to her lent strength to her resolve to prove herself worthy of the faith he had said he had in that kind of life, the life she had chosen. At the same time she faced with a gravity that was making her older than her years, the fact that the very nature of her position would make it impossible for her ever to realize an answer to her own heart from his so it was with mingled feelings of ambition that barbara took up the daily round again the results of the evening so far as her own position was concerned very insignificant mrs dillingham kept her word and called on barbara's mother she also sent a note to barbara inviting her to call and a little later she even included her in a quiet afternoon tea at her house barbara ought to have accepted these overtures for they represented a good deal of courage on mrs dillingham's part barbara regretted a little later that she had not gone but she had at the time after that one night at mrs vane's concluded that she had attempted a thing that was of no value she would approach the matter from another side she was trying to think it all out and had many talks with mrs ward and mrs vane about it when an event occurred that threatened to interrupt all her plans and prove a real and serious crisis in her life as a servant. It must have been three weeks after that evening at Mrs. Vane's, when Alfred came home from college for a few days. He had not been in the house an hour before Barbara was annoyed by his attentions. They were so marked that his mother noticed it. Barbara was intensely indignant, and Mrs. Ward was much disturbed over it. In the afternoon Barbara could hear loud voices in the sitting-room, and in the midst of it all Carl came out into the kitchen, crying and trembling, and saying that his mother and Alfred were quarrelling. Barbara, knowing what it was all about, could not help feeling relieved when the voices ceased, and after a time Mrs. Ward came out and had a talk with Barbara, apologizing for Alfred and promising that there would be no recurrence of the matter. Barbara listened in silence, and when Mrs. Ward was through, she said, Alfred never would have behaved as he did if he had not been drinking. Do you mean to say that Alfred drinks? Mrs. Ward almost shrieked. The experiences of the morning had given her one of her headaches. He does. He drank when he was here last fall. I can't believe it possible. He has nervous headaches. He bathes his head in alcohol to relieve it. "'He has told me so many times,' exclaimed Mrs. Ward indignantly. "'But I know he was drinking this morning, or he would have never behaved so. No gentleman would ever have spoken to me as he spoke, Mrs. Ward, if he hadn't been under the influence of liquor.' Mrs. Ward lost her temper. Afterwards, in quiet thoughtfulness, Barbara knew that her nervous tension was responsible for what she did. "'It's not true!' You are too much given to thinking of yourself. You are too good for your place. Then, if I'm too good for my place, perhaps I better not stay in it, spoke up Barbara in a sudden passion. But she was not an angel nor perfect, only a girl worn out, perhaps with the constant toil, and at any rate she was sorry for it the minute she spoke. You can leave any time. The sooner the better, Mrs. Ward said. I'm sorry, Barbara began you needn't say anything the sooner you leave the better we have all been worried to death over you ever since you came ejaculated mrs ward and bursting into a hysterical fit of weeping she retired to the lounge in the sitting-room if barbara had waited until the weeping was over and then gone in and told mrs ward she had decided not to leave until her week was out mrs ward would have apologized but the quickest passion is roused by injustice and barbara smarting under the lash of mrs ward's nervous headache tongue went at once to her room packed her things into her trunk put on her hat and turned to leave the house down in the kitchen she found carl crying where are you going barbara don't go away i'm frightened everything's so queer he cried lifting his arms to her she took him up in her lap and kissed him why you're crying too barbara Everybody's crying. What for? I'm going home, Carl. Your mamma thinks I had better go home. Are you coming back? I don't know, dear. Barbara answered as she put the child down. Don't go, Barbara. The child cried as she went out the door. Don't cry, dear Carl. Perhaps I'll come back again. Barbara turned and called out to the child, kissing her hand to him. End of chapter 5 Recording by Cloud Dancer